This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. It's that time already. Hey, welcome into the program. Good Saturday morning to you. This is Candace Talk. I'm Andy Hoosier right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. Happy Saturday to you. Getting you up and moving for the day. Getting you up and moving for another weekend. It's going to be a great one. A little bit warmer. Maybe a little bit of rain coming in. I don't know, into this weekend. Something like that. Hopefully you had a great week. Let's get you started off with a whole new weekend. Welcome in 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we would love to hear from you. We've got a big show lined up for you today. As bottom of the hour, State Representative Stephen Johnson, he'll be joining us to give us a legislative update of what's going on in Topeka. Plus, he's also running for state treasurer, and we'll chat with him about uh, some of the financial situations here in the state and what can we do to curb Kansas tax money, not federally tax money in the U.S., but Kansas tax money from going over to Russia during the conflict and the war. How much is going over there and what can we do about it? So we'll talk with him about that here in just a little bit. Also, we have uh, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. We'll uh, play that interview coming up at the top of hour number two to kick off that one. We've never had him on the program before, so super excited to play that interview. And uh, as usual, we do our monthly interview with Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt to wrap up the program at the end of next hour. So lots to get to, lots to talk about. And also want to hear from you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. It was a big weekend, or it was a big week, uh, at least. It was a lot of fun, as uh, Thursday was definitely the greatest day of the entire year. It was, of course, St. Patrick's Day. And as anybody that's listened to my program here in Wichita for a long period of time knows that by far that is one of my favorite holidays of the entire year. I did get home on Thursday evening, and Mrs. Voice of Reason did make the corned beef and cabbage. I am going to make some corned beef and hash this weekend, uh, homemade, so really excited about that one. And had a little bit of a proper 12 Irish whiskey. I did not have a Guinness, although I may have to have one this weekend at some point. But it was a fun one. It was a great one. Got to listen to some of the great music, have a great time, chat with some good old friends that uh, used to celebrate the St. Patrick's Day celebration all the time, and hopefully you did as well. I think we had a great show on Thursday as well with the Voice of Reason that talked a little bit about St. Patrick's Day, kind of the history of it, a little bit of uh, the identity politics that we like to discuss during that time as well. So all in all, it was a great week, and hopefully you got to enjoy it as well. Open line to you, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. At the same time, it was also spring break week for many individuals and for many students, not just here in the state of Kansas and in Wichita, but also nationwide, as there are reports of all of the college kids going down for the spring break down in Florida like they traditionally do, the big spring break hoorah parties, and many of the towns saying that they have been overrun in their towns because of all the crazy kids that have gone down there. Obviously, they haven't been able to in a couple of years because of COVID-19. I think that back, really about a year, right? Because 2020, it was just starting to kick off. All of the health experts were warning the students not to do that, but yet they went and did it anyways, and they were worried about all these super spreader situations, and they were worried about uh, all the kids getting COVID, which... Honestly, I don't think actually really happened. I remember seeing the pictures, and we they had shown, oh, all of these kids were actually getting in close quarters together. They were all getting in the pools together. They weren't wearing masks while they were in the pool. They were not social distancing. Oh, we're all going to die, because this was the first month that it had really broken out. So they were freaking out about all these kids that were potentially spreading COVID-19. If I remember correct, now my memory is a little uh, scarce at times, but I don't seem to remember 
the headlines thereafter about all these young college kids that died from COVID-19. Just throwing it out there for you so that way yeah, you kind of remember the the timeline of what happened with all this stuff. But uh, so COVID-19 still somewhat of an issue. Are you worried about it still? Uh, obviously, the college kids aren't right now being down in the spring break and trying to have a good time down there. Many of the health experts not saying a whole lot about COVID-19 and spring breakers right now. Even Dr. Fauci, who did pop his head up just a couple of days ago and give an interview talking about a new COVID-19 variant, which we'll get to here in just a second, that uh, he didn't even say anything about the spring breakers, about trying to social distance, be cautious, be careful, there's new spread, then whatever. He didn't say anything. Not a thing. Because it's against the narrative now. Of course, Joe Biden trying to downplay the COVID-19 pandemic specifically just because that, uh, well, he had a State of the Union address. Congress doesn't have to wear masks anymore. So it's not a big topical issue anymore. He doesn't want that to be a fear tactic. Even though Fauci kind of let it slip that now there's going to be a new variant and we need to be scared yet again. Are you scared? Are you worried? Or is it just uh, whatever? It's old news. Which I also find the timing of it kind of intriguing because uh, the fact that, well, we're now looking back at COVID-19 for a new variant after the waning interest i guess you could say with the ongoing war with russia and the ukraine which i have seen news over the weekend now uh, at least this morning that uh, Zelensky looks like he may have to concede and may have to surrender to putin because he's had so many casualties and so many losses and he can only hold on for so long obviously with the lack of resources the lack of manpower the lack of uh, ammunition and weapons that he could only hold on for so long and the pressure's coming down. Putin is starting to run out of resources. He's trying to hold out until the resources of Russia runs out. But I don't know. Maybe they could just reinforce all that and just be done with it. But uh, Zelensky seems like he's trying to have some conversations behind the scenes with Russia to concede and give up while he's also asking for additional aid from the European Union and from us here in the United States. I have to say that he has done a terrific job, regardless of whether you support him or not, a terrific job of uh, appealing to the emotions of Democrats in Congress by talking about 9-11, by talking about Pearl Harbor, by talking about World War II, by talking about uh, some devastation, playing the video clips of kids being bombed in hospitals and the maternity wards and the long-term care facilities. I mean, Zelensky's obviously done a great job of uh, playing on the emotions which I think he needs to at this time if he's going to be asking for help. But some people are uh, buying into it. Other people are like, oh, that's a little cheesy. I think that he's just in a state of desperation personally and that he just needs help. But we'll see. We'll see if he can hang on to it. There was a headline early this morning, according to the Sun.com or the Daily Star, that uh, Vladimir Putin is now starting to use uh, hypersonic missiles for the first time ever. As now he's getting angry. The resources boots on the ground seem to be waning just a little bit, and uh, now he's starting to use some of the hypersonic missiles, some of them hitting direct targets, other of uh, some of the other ones actually being deflected. But the uh, debris and the secondhand devastation of the missiles actually hitting a lot of apartment buildings for individuals and civilians, and now we're hearing those on the news headlines as well. So things getting ugly over in the Ukraine. Thoughts and prayers continue to go out to all the madness that seems to be going on in uh, those areas. So relatively sad. Your thoughts on it. Um, where are we and should we be focused more on the Ukraine? Should we be aiding them more? After the appeal to uh, Congress by Zelensky, we had Congress try to make some more sanctions 
called on Joe Biden to make more sanctions, which really made Joe Biden have to be more emotional and reactionary as opposed to proactive, which has really been the Biden administration and the Democrat Party all in one together. They've really been emotional and reactionary during everything. They don't know how to be leaders. They just know how to be activists and cause issues and complain and then try to overturn the tables, but not actually delegate or lead or actually be someone that actually knows what the hell they're doing. We see that here in the state of Kansas. As Governor Laura Kelly has been completely emotional and reactionary throughout the entire COVID-19 pandemic, we've called her out on that many a time before, but what can we do? The sanctions that Joe Biden has put on to the financial institutions in Russia don't even take effect until June of this year. Now, yeah, I know. I know. So if we're having a war now that is devastating Ukraine now, and we're putting sanctions on them to punish Russia now, why are we putting on sanctions of financial institutions and the banks and everything like that we wanted to to shut down their economy? Why don't they even take effect until June of this year? That, according to the former Trump campaign manager that we had on the program just earlier this week on The Voice of Reason for our national broadcast. Kind of interesting. Really shows the uh, urgency of Democrats while they sit there and clap and applaud and do standing ovations for Zelensky by giving them the emotional arguments and saying, by golly, we need to support them and we have to do everything we can for uh, for Ukraine and we have to stop Russia. But yet all of our sanctions are three months out before they even hit Russia. So right now, while the war is going on, not even doing anything about it. Kind of an interesting situation. 316-728-255. At the same time, we had, as we mentioned, spring break happening right now, and Dr. Fauci peeking his head up. Where has he been? I don't know. We haven't heard from him in a good few months now that COVID-19's kind of died off, everybody getting back to normal, not wanting to hear about uh, Dr. Fauci and what he's doing. But he was on PBS just a couple of days ago, and he said this. Well, we can't predict uh, definitively about that, Judy, but one thing is for sure that we're still as a country going in the right direction with regard to the downward trajectory of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. The caveat about that is, is that we generally follow uh, the European Union, but particularly the UK, by a few weeks, usually three or so weeks. And if you look at what's going on, for example, in the UK, when you combine the increased transmissibility of the BA2, which is a sub-lineage variant of the original Omicron, together with the relaxation of some of the restrictions like mask wearing and indoor concern about making sure people are vaccinated. And then you talk about the waning of immunity, they're starting to see an increase in cases and to some extent an increase in hospitalization, even though they are not seeing an increase in necessarily in severity of disease. So I would not be surprised, Judy, if in the next few weeks we do see an uptick in cases. The really important issue is that will that be manifested in an increase in severe disease that would lead to hospitalization? Wow. Wow. So let me get this straight. And for those that are maybe a little bit slow on the draw there for the other side of the aisle that still support what this guy says in some way, shape or form, let's put this into perspective. We now have a BA.2 or BA2 variant of the Omicron variant, the variant of the variant that becomes, remember, as viruses mutate and have new variants, then they become maybe more contagious but less severe. We saw that with the Delta variant that was way less severe than what it was with the original COVID-19 virus strain. Then we had the Omicron variant that didn't even get into your tissues. It wasn't even severe at all. It gave you just a cold. Now we have a variant of that one, of the Omicron variant. I don't even know what that's supposed to do to you. But 
as he mentioned, okay, we're two to three weeks behind what the United Kingdom in, in, Europe, in Europe does with their variants, so it'll eventually come to here and we'll start getting it. They're seeing less severity. Their cases have gone up. Severity has gone dramatically down, and it's because, of course, we're not getting masks uh, because we're not getting the COVID-19 vaccine. But there's a new variant. The cases are going up. There's no severity to it. There's no increase in hospitalizations. There's no increase in deaths from COVID-19, but there's case numbers rising. So now we need to come back out into the media, scare you again, go get your COVID-19 vaccine. Because of the lack of uh, mask mandates in the, in the country now, we're concerned about an increase, and we don't know whether there's going to be severity or not. I thought he just said that there wasn't severity with the new variant. He just said that for the United Kingdom. It's not seeing an increase in severity. It's not increasing the number of hospitalizations. It's not increasing the number of deaths. But we're concerned about an increase of it here because we don't have masks and because the COVID-19 vaccine has died in popularity. In fact, they're throwing millions of them away now at doses of them, which, you know, great. That's how your taxpayer money has been well spent from the federal government now. They bought all these vaccines. Now no one wants them, so they're pitching them because they're expired and not, not good anymore. So we're just literally throwing taxpayer money away with the COVID-19 vaccines that aren't working any longer. But because we're not taking them and because we're relaxing ourselves on masks, we're going to see a variant of a variant of a variant come out that's extremely less severe, that is proven in other nations, that is not severe in any way, shape, or form, but now we need to be scared of it. The only time you hear from Dr. Fauci is when he's actually trying to tell you there's a new variant and to be very scared to wear your mask and go go get your vaccine. And that's why he came back up. Kind of interesting, isn't it? 316-721-8255. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Are you worried about it or is it just old news? Because, well, by golly, that's just what they like to do. All right, we'll take a break here. When we come back, we have... Lots to get to today. We'll get a lot uh, a lot of things to cover with the topical events, what's going on here in the state of Kansas. Our state legislature is still rocking it. Also today in Topeka is the second, uh, the Kansas State Rifle Association's annual convention. They're at the gun show in Topeka today. The official meeting starts at 530. If you want to head up to Topeka, go see the Kansas State Rifle Association's annual meeting that they have every single year. And uh, hopefully we'll see you up there for that this afternoon as well in Topeka. We'll take a break. We'll get your thoughts on the latest of what's going on. All of it brought to you by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. They are opening up here in about 10 minutes. We'll have Phil Martinez on the show with us again next week to talk about the latest in the gold and silver market. You can also find them online at philscoins.com. Again, philscoins.com. Happy post at St. Patrick's Day to you. I promised you that we would play some Irish music going into this weekend to celebrate the ongoing St. Paddy's Day. Back after this here on Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. His eyes, they closed, and his last breath spoke. He had seen all to be seen, a life once full, now an empty vase. Wilt the blossoms on his early grave Walk away, me boy, walk away, me boy And by morning we'll be free 26 minutes past the hour, so I didn't really get to say this during uh, actual St. Patrick's Day since the show is so far in the afternoon, but top of the morning to ya! As, as we get you set up for a Saturday morning here on the Big Talker KQAM. It's Candace Talk. Welcome in 316 721 8255. 316 721 Talk. 
If you want to join in, we would love to hear from you. Lots of things going on in the state legislature right now. As we have, uh, here's one for you. As we just teased before the uh, uh, before the break, going into the annual Kansas State Rifle Association's annual meeting. Couple things to give you a little tease about, and I can say this because I'm on the board for the KSRA, so I want to give a little plug here. They do have, if you've not heard about it or you were not aware of it, they have new license plates for you that you can get for your vehicle. The Gatson flag. They don't tread on me thing yeah you can actually get that as a license plate on your vehicle and it is available in the state of kansas now uh not only is it awesome to rock it on your car which when i renew my license plates in may coming up in a couple of months i'm going to be getting one myself uh but it also helps support the kansas state rifle association that helps fight for second amendment rights here in the state of kansas i don't remember the cost of it don't ask me that i know that there's a one-time charge to purchase the plate but then there's also every time you renew it is like 20 or 25 bucks uh, for the renewal for the plate that goes to the KSRA uh, for us to be able to continue to fight for Second Amendment issues as, a, as lobbyists in Topeka, as different events that we can put on across the state. Super awesome. So I wanted to give that plug, but that meeting is at the uh, at the gun show going on in Topeka this afternoon. And uh, the official KSRA meeting starts at 5, 530 this afternoon. They are going to have a panel as well of different candidates running for office, including Derek Schmidt, uh, candidate for governor of the state, including Chris Kobach running for attorney general in the state, including Karen Tyson, I believe, running for state treasurer and other uh, candidates as well. So uh, highly recommend it if you're able to make it up to Topeka this afternoon. Hopefully we'll see you up there for that annual convention. There is some legislation right now in Topeka, speaking of two-way issues, after the shooting that happened up in the Kansas City area a couple weeks ago. If you remember, it was a student who ended up getting a a very scary, I know, trigger warning, a ghost gun. Very scary for them, those ghost guns, because how dare that uh, individuals... Uh, you know, be able to purchase firearms or make their firearms and not have it registered or licensed. And that must be why that student was able to get their hands on a firearm to do something bad and do a shooting because it was a ghost gun. That's a bunch of crap, but that's what the left side of the aisle tries to say. So uh, right now they're talking about NRA gun safety classes in schools again because, well, maybe we should educate our children on how to use firearms. The left absolutely despising it. Remember, The Democrats, Governor Laura Kelly, she's the one that vetoed the Eddie Eagle program in the state. And for those that don't know what the Eddie Eagle program is, it's for younger children where they get taught literally, if there's a gun, don't touch it, leave it on the ground, and go tell an adult. But because it was associated with the NRA, then therefore Governor Kelly vetoed it, saying it was a really bad bill for some reason. So telling kids not to touch a gun and go tell an adult if they find a gun is apparently a really bad program that's how dumb the left-wingers have uh, become because they don't care about the actual bill they care about the uh, political affiliation with the bills and therefore they have to veto it based on partisanship as opposed to common sense makes sense i guess thanks democrats that's why you're going to lose in the elections coming up in the midterms ha lots more coming up on kansas talk stay here To Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Thirty-five minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Good Saturday morning to you. Well, yeah. I know. Uh huh. I miss more than hit. Happy post at St. Patrick's Day to you. 
Yeah, uh, we didn't get to play this on the show on Thursday, so we had to rock it this morning. <laughs> Welcome into it. 316-721-8255. Lots to get to this hour. Hour number two right around the corner. We have Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. We'll uh, play that interview. We did that just a while ago, so look forward to playing that interview. You haven't been on the show before, so uh, that'll be a great interview. Also, bottom of next hour, we have Derek Schmidt, uh, Candace Attorney General and candidate for governor here in the state of Candace. We'll play that interview uh, like we do every month as well, talking about legal issues in the state of Kansas. But right now, super excited to have this guy back on the program. Been a while since we've chatted with him. He is a state representative from District 108, also candidate for state treasurer here in the state of Kansas. It's Stephen Johnson here. Stephen, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Great to get to be with you again. Yeah, it's always good to chat with you. First off, uh, great to see you out at the state Republican convention last weekend. That was a great turnout. That was a lot of fun. It was a great turnout. Good to have everybody together again, right, in Wichita and, uh, they did a good job putting it together, but again, just great to talk to folks from across the state. Yeah, it really shows, I think, the energy of a lot of people going into midterms this year, obviously with what's going on nationally and what's going on internationally, what's going on with Governor Kelly, what's happened the last couple of years with COVID-19. I think we have a lot of really fired up individuals uh, across the state, don't you think? We do. I think they're excited. I think they're optimistic about what we can do, uh, both here in Kansas and especially in Washington, to change the uh, uh, makeup of Congress and what we can do going forward. Yeah, absolutely. First off, uh, I want to talk about some stuff with the Treasurer's uh, Office and and, uh, what's going on there. But I also want to talk about some legislative issues, obviously, that's going on as you guys are starting to ramp up the end of the legislative session of 2022. Overall, how do you think it's gone so far? I mean, we've heard a little bit of news coming out. You guys are just kind of crazy through a bunch of stuff right now, though. Yeah, a lot of it is just the kind of rote legislation that needs to happen, and uh, that's been going on. We are getting now into the details of the budget. We just passed the budget out of the House committee yesterday, so we have a framework to work from there. I believe the Senate had theirs earlier this week also. So that's one of the big pieces, and then we're certainly looking forward to the maps uh, early next week to go over on the House side uh, for both our House. We'll be looking at our House maps and then the Senate maps that they put together. Yeah, I had heard the Senate was working on some of the uh, legislative districts. From what you've seen so far preliminary and kind of early on here, what kind of changes could we expect in some of our legislative makeups with the redistricting? Well, and I've been focused on, on my area and how that shifts, but Certainly in our rural areas, as population has moved to the urban areas or has grown more in the urban areas, we're just seeing a shift from the from the borders in as districts get bigger and uh, then taking some of the districts like mine and moving those to the more populated areas like Johnson County, where there was a lot of growth. Mm. It's a little concerning for Republicans down the road, isn't it? It is, although we've got a good footprint across the state um, and and. In, in the near future, we'll still be in, in uh, uh, I believe, control and in and, and good shape. Good, good, fantastic. Uh, you mentioned the budget as well. If uh, coming that uh, having that come out of committee uh, just yesterday, what does the budget uh, potentially look like going into the next couple of years? Uh, we're, we went down from a two-year budget down to a one-year, didn't we? Yes, um, we typically do a two-year budget, particularly in the first year of a biennium um, of the legislature. And I think with this being the second year of the legislature and the uh, last year for Governor Kelly, uh, that will shorten uh, the the time frame in terms of how long we're looking at on the budget. 
Sure. We are still looking at a budget for the next fiscal year as well. But, um, yeah, the focus has been on 2023. Sure. Uh, I, I hate to ask this question, but how how much do we see of potential government growth in the state? I know it kind of uh, already grows with different departments and agencies, but looking at the budget so far, or at least what's come out of the committee right now, are we doing well kind of restraining growth of government and trying to keep things limited? So um, I'll have I believe it has been an adequate job. There are a number of things that I voted against, which did go on the budget, um, uh, an argument for an increase in employee wages given inflation and given the number of years where there has been no increase. A 5% increase did pass on the House budget, and that is a part of the budget that is there. The growth in number of positions is very limited, but Good. that will be a growth in expense both on that and as you increase salary and all of the multipliers on salary that we have, which is probably another roughly oh, 18 to 20% of salary dollars in the benefit package. Sure. Fantastic. Now, uh, in this current bill, or in our current uh, financial state, obviously we had received close to the billion dollars from the uh, COVID-19 pandemic relief funds coming into the state. I had heard that you guys were working towards moving to making a large payment into the CAPERS plan and trying to get ahead on some of the payments for the state. Governor Kelly not liking that idea, wanting to put some of it back into an emergency fund or safety net or expand programs or whatever else. Where are we with that situation? And did you guys actually approve the additional payment to CAPERS? Yes. So uh, both the House and Senate have passed a billion dollars going into CAPERS. So that has been a position which I hope we can come together on. On the House, our vote was high enough where we would have enough to override a veto, I believe. I'm sure that some of the Democrats who voted for it may fall off on an override vote. Hmm. But um, that that gives us a good start. Uh, Senate has the same thing. We're in agreement with the governor on the first $253 million going into CAPERS, so I'm confident that one will happen. The key is how far we can make it on the rest of that payment. Uh, I think we'll be able to get the entire amount in. Very good. Very good. That would be really nice because that would almost catch us back up to where we don't have to worry about amortization for a while, wouldn't it? Well, um, it certainly reduces the the impact of that, um, the amortization schedule, as we get closer to 2033, we will start looking at what you do just because a one-year performance in the uh, fund can start whipsawing what your payment is. Sure. So when you get within five years, if you have much of a, a balance left, it's not unlikely that you'd re-amortize even if you just went over a 10-year level schedule. Gotcha. We're talking with State Representative Stephen Johnson, also candidate for uh, State Treasurer. You can find his website, stephenjohnsonks.com, is the website to go check out everything that he's doing. Let's talk about the State Treasurer's position, some of the finances here in the state. And uh, with the international issues right now, with Russia, with Ukraine, with some of the things we've seen sanctions come out from the federal government, which... I kind of laugh at because while we say we're going to put all these crazy sanctions onto their financial institutions and major banks, (laughs) at least from what I've heard, they don't even take effect until June, which the whole war could be over. And that doesn't really do anything to stop Putin from doing what he's doing right now. But I, I didn't even know this was happening, but I had heard a tweet tweet that Kansas taxpayer money is potentially go, going over to Russia right now as well. Is that true? And what, what the heck could we do about something like that? Well, there would not be Kansas taxpayer money going over there. What we looked at immediately as if things were pending 
was what investments had exposure there. The biggest investment was through an international index fund, the Morgan Stanley International Index. So that was where our largest exposure to Russia was uh, in, in dollars that had been invested there. Um, in February, we had said no new dollars to Russia. So sure. uh, that was easy enough to direct. Unwinding the index was the most challenging. And uh, so that and then so with no new dollars to Russia would be no new dollars to that index. That index has since taken Russia out of the index and parked it by itself on the side. So if there would be a new investment in that index fund by anyone, mm-hmm. uh, it would no longer go to Russia. That makes sense. We don't want any investments over there right now. At the same time, and I don't know if you would know this or not, but on the agricultural side, I know a lot of our agricultural leaders in the state have gone to that region to work on trade deals, to export a lot of our grains, a lot of our livestock, a lot of our agricultural products to that area. Is that something that the state has looked at of trying to cut ties with as well right now is stopping some of the agricultural exports in that area? Well, and I know there are some agricultural exports there, although, um, you know, that's also an area that is a producer of of wheat, uh, more in the Ukraine. But with that, our main concern continues to be China and walking that fine line between that market, which we do want to continue to have exports to, and worrying about what, if any, next aggression could there be and how do we appropriately anticipate that. Mm. That's good. Well, I know that you know, we came across our end of our trade deal with China with the phase one of that. I know they didn't quite meet their standard. But overall, I mean, are we expected with this conflict to kind of shake up our trade with China? Or do you think that's pretty stable? I think our trade is fairly stable at this point. But what we look at in terms of the taxpayer dollars and the duties that the Treasurer would have is saying, OK, we have a pretty high allocation international right now. Is that something that we want to maintain? Similarly, just as we had that issue with the index fund in uh, Russia, how do we anticipate that possibility and be in a position where we could unwind more quickly uh, in the in the case with China? So I think it's reducing international exposure, reducing the index fund exposure and being able to. pull that trigger if you need when the threats are being made. I love it. State Representative Stephen Johnson, last couple questions before we let you go, and I appreciate the time, but uh, you also uh, head up and chair actually the Taxation Committee. Looking forward, and as you're working to try and get into the state treasurer's office, tax rates in the state of Kansas, do you expect them to go up anytime soon? Are we able to keep them down a little bit? How are we doing budgetary-wise, obviously, with the money that's coming in and that COVID-19 relief and the potential long-term taxation rates here in the state? Yeah. So I had chaired tax previously for four years. Currently, I uh, chair insurance and pensions. But on the tax rates, everything we're looking at is where we can continue to reduce tax rates. With where we're sitting, the focus is how can we reduce debt, put future taxpayers in a better position, and also use that reduction in interest costs by eliminating debt to buy down different taxes. Um, So focus has been to, to work across the board to see if we can keep the lid on property taxes, if we can uh, pull down the overall sales tax uh, level as well as the food sales tax. That would be nice. And that was my next question is the sales tax, obviously, on food. We see Governor Kelly stalking people in the grocery stores for that ax the tax plan right now, uh, which is funny because she's vetoed it twice and and fought against it uh, for the last 20 years in the state Senate. But now all of a sudden she wants to do it, which I find ironic. Where are we with that bill? I know there were a couple that were floating around there. And do you think it's going to happen by the end of the session this year? 
I think we will see a reduction. And then the question will be, what is the timing of implementation, et cetera? Uh, the key is making sure that we have the ongoing revenue. And as we approach our April consensus revenue estimate, we'll be able to get a better handle on whether our long-term revenues are actually being driven as high as it, they have in the last year. If it is ongoing, I believe the food sales tax will be north of $500 million, especially with inflation. We need to make sure that that's sustainable in the budget, which has been the one question. And it's interesting, the way you reduce the budget to make that work with one-time money, in our opinion, is to reduce your debt and your interest payments so that you have fewer liabilities and can sustain that cut. The argument has been we want to use that one-time money for the tax cut. That indicates to me that we don't have the ongoing revenue to do it, and we're just going to buoy it up by using this one-time money to make it work for three years and then hand the problem down the road. What a concept, limiting state debt and limiting state spending. You'd think that would be common sense. You would You would think so. Uh, <laughs> so we had a chance to have that debate on the floor, and uh, we can we can queue up a few clips from it to make the point stronger. I love it. Well, work in progress. We appreciate what you guys are doing. State Representative Stephen Johnson, also candidate for state treasurer here for Kansas. Find him online, stephenjohnsonks.com. Stephen, always good to talk to you, my friend. Happy Saturday. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. And uh, let's get you back on the show again here real soon. Look forward to that. Thank you. Hey, always a pleasure, my friend. All right, we'll take a break. Lots more coming up. When we come back, we'll get our update from the AARP to wrap up hour number one. Hour number two, we'll take your phone calls. We also have our interview with Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt and Derek Schmidt the Kansas Attorney General. So we got lots to get to. I promise I'll get you time to take some phone calls. We got some lined up, so hang tight. We'll get to you here in just a few minutes. It's Candace Talk right here on The Big Talker, KQAM. Tech may control what you read on social. We're talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out online at aarp.org slash KS for the state of Kansas. Also on their social media as well. Glenda's back on the line with us this week. Glenda, how are you today? I am doing well, Andy. And you? Uh, we are living the dream. It's uh, happy St. Patrick's Day to you for this week yeah. and a little yeah. bit warmer weather. With yeah. the springtime, we're getting out, we're doing things, maybe remodeling the house, maybe we're consolidating debts, maybe we're planning for the year. Whatever we're doing, uh, there's always the financial uh, realm involved in it, which means people are going to be trying to find ways to take your money. And some of those new scams include, which I'm sure these have been around for quite a bit, but uh, some of the debt relief offers to consolidate your credit cards, to uh, be able to consolidate some of your debts, to be able to put student loans onto. And I'm sure that these are pretty rampant this time of year. Yes, they are, uh, Andy. And, you know, debt is something that can really creep up on you. And before long, you're, you're looking for a way to get out of it. But we really want to caution everyone to be aware of that because tempting um, those offers that will get you out of debt and get you out of debt quickly uh, sometimes can really only make your problems worse. So because it will and it will put money into the pockets of scammers. So we need to be aware. For sure. Mm, that is a very concern. So how would individuals reach out to you about some of these uh, debt relief scams? Well, the way that they work, 
Um, what they will do is they will reach out to you, and this can be phone. Can, they can call you. They can send it to you in the mail or, you know, different ways that you'll receive it. And they'll have promises and guarantees to get you out of debt and to get you out quickly and to do that very cleanly. And so the thing to be aware of and, and the way it works is that they will ask you for an advance payment, perhaps, or to pay some type of fee for the service that they're going to provide. And they might also ask you to enroll in a debt relief program without even having your own financial situation specifically reviewed. So that, that's how it works. They, they really get you um, kind of tied into giving them money and um, setting up services, that, but they don't know what your situation is. And sometimes they even tell you to stop paying your, your, your creditors. Yeah, it's not a good idea to do that, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Now, uh, obviously, when you talk about a lot of these scams, it's never give out personal information, social security number, maybe yes. credit card, debit card number. So when they do right. try to contact you with some of this, that's the stuff that you want to kind of hold on to pretty close to you, right? That's exactly right, for sure. Yeah. Do not give out any personal information to them. Who do they target with some of these debts? Is it maybe, I know that there's a lot of elderly scams that go on for individuals that may not be aware, uh, but do they just target maybe the elderly or older individuals, or they, do they really try to target anybody in these uh, kind of scams? Well, you know, for, for us and for AARP, certainly, you know, people 50 and over are certainly the ones that we're, um, we hear a lot about and we're concerned about, in addition to them, though, but everyone, especially now, uh, is susceptible to this with COVID and, and people, you know, you've lost jobs and, and financial situations have changed. So people are looking at ways to really get back on their feet. So this is really something that can impact really anyone at this point, yeah. and especially older people who, you know, really want to just kind of consolidate things and, and make things simple. Is, is uh, how they would say what they would say to you. Sure. How scary and unfortunate. Make sure to be careful of some of these scams. What else is going on with the AARP? You always have the virtual uh, webinars that you have, some entertainment stuff. Now that the, uh, the things are getting warmer, uh, maybe some things going on outside. But what's the latest from the AARP? Well, one of the things that we wanted people to know coming up starting um, March 24th, AARP celebrates you. There'll be a lot of activities that will be going on, and they can go to aarp.org to find them. There'll be concerts and music and just fun uh, movies uh, to kick off the week. So there'll be a lot of fun and act fun things going on um, on AARP.org. And uh, as always, you know, we can always look for virtual um, activities like exercise and, and golf programs, lessons, fun golf lessons. Just a lot of different activities that will be going on and for sure to continue to uh, pay attention to our Fraud Watch Network. Always sure. some great information. If people want to reach out to you guys, a website and phone number, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, yes, for sure. Our website is aarp.org slash Kansas. And if they're wanting to uh, reach out to us for uh, Fraud Watch, we can always go to fwn at aarp.org. And also for the Fraud Watch, they can also reach out to the Kansas Attorney General's office also. I love it. AARP.org slash KS for the state of Candace plus on their social media as well. Always great information. Always great tips to keep you safe with all those fraudsters out in the world. Glenda, we always appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you. All right. There we go. Hour number one all wrapped up in the books. Hour two right around the corner. We'll take some phone calls. we got some great chats and interviews. Lots of things to talk about. Stay here. It's Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay right here. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker, 
KQAM. Hour number two is officially here. Welcome into Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM, KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Saturday morning, getting you up and moving for the weekend. What an hour number one we had already. Lots to cover, lots to talk about as usual, and we always want to hear from you. All of it presented by Phil's Coins at 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. They're open right now until 2.30 this afternoon. Also online at philscoins.com. Coming up in just a little bit, we have our interview we'll play with Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. I uh, look forward to chatting with him. We did that interview. I got. I feel a little bad. We did it like a week or two ago, and uh, we just haven't had a chance to play it. We've been so busy, so many guests during the national broadcast, during the week, during this program, uh, on the weekend. We've just been so busy, I haven't had a chance to play it. But it's a great interview, so we're going to play that here in just a few minutes. Also, bottom of the hour, we have our monthly interview with uh, Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt talking about legal issues here in the state and nationwide, things that he's working on as well. If you would like to see him, he's also going to be at the Kansas State Rifle Association's annual meeting going on tonight in Topeka. They have the uh, partnering up with the gun show going on up there, so you can see the gun show all day. Meeting starts at 5 p.m. See some candidates running for uh, office going into the midterm elections of 2022 here in the state. Get you all fired up, ready to go, and see how important some of these issues actually are. So that's awesome. Welcome in 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Until then, we have the lines lit up here, so let's go right to the phones here, shall we? Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? Top of the morning to you, laddie. Ah, what's happening, sir? How we doing? Well, it's a beautiful morning, but uh, I'm afraid I got some tragic news to pass on to you. You have some tragic news, okay. I'm afraid the pipes won't be calling for Danny Boy anymore. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, that doesn't sound good. Yesterday, he was crossing the streets in Dublin. Mm-hmm was run over by a Guinness truck. Ah. Witnesses say he had just left Father O'Malley's Irish pub after consuming several pints of Guinness. Yeah. How's that for Irish? Ah, see, you know what? It makes sense. He finally got run over by the truck. The truck ended up getting, you know, he, <laughs> he got taken by the consumption. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. John, happy St. Patty's Day. It's uh, always a great, it is, it's the best holiday of the entire year. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I put it third for me after Christmas and Thanksgiving. You know. Okay. So. See, it's right up there. It's like it's like St. Patty's Day, Fourth of July, Christmas. I mean, they're all kind of like you know up there in that top tier. Yeah, and I love the Celtic music you've been playing, man. I I do. I really do like uh, Celtic music. Well, uh, good. We got lots more coming up for this whole hour. So. Bagpipes are okay, but they do get a little annoying for me after a while. <laughs> it's better when you but, throw it uh, into a rock and roll song, like an ACDC kind of thing. I mean that. I mean then it just mm, it's it's perfect. Yeah, my yeah, well, I I have I since when does ACDC do uh, Celtic music? <laughs> they don't do Celtic music, but some of their older stuff they had the bagpipes playing in the in the background. Remember the song? It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. I mean, awesome bagpipe running through the whole song there. Uh, well, I was never a big ACDC fan, All right. so, All right. you know, I probably, what's the one, Highway to Hell, is that was the big hit they had? Yeah, that was one of their big ones, that was, uh, uh, I mean, all their stuff's great, but yeah. Well, that's the one I used to hear on the radio all the time, you know, because it was high on the charts, so, but anyway, um, you know, I turned on your uh, show about 15, 20 minutes 
after nine this morning, so I, I missed most of the monologue. But I heard, I heard Doctor Frank and Fauci. He's back there. at I it. Was like, He's. I was like, yeah. Where in the hell is Andy? <laughs> you know. He's back better. at it. I mean, he's been out for the last few months. He finally poked his head up, and the reason he poked his head up was because now there's a new a new variant. It's the variant of the variant of Omicron, which Omicron was like the least severe. Didn't really harm anybody except for, like, giving people a cold. Now there's a variant of that one, and even though it hasn't killed anybody in the U.K., numbers are positive again, and people are getting po- testing positive with it, so therefore we need to start vaccinating and wearing masks again, according to Fauci. Well, I can imagine Dan Bongino. You know, it's the, uh, <laughs> the amalgamation of the emancipation of the uh, impregnation of the dictation, you know, it just never ends. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, because you don't play sound bites very often, so that I left me kind of confused. You know, Joe Pag's weekend not on anymore. So is there a potential for a third hour for you, or are you just going to? have to find a new show altogether. Well, it's a it's a, a possibility. We still have the program called The Weekend that'll be up here in a little bit at 11 o'clock on KQAM, but uh, it will not be Joe Pegs. You're right. Right now, from the emails I have gotten from the operational programming side, that uh, they have a few guest hosts that will be filling in for a couple of weeks until they find their permanent host for The Weekend. Hey, maybe Dan Bongino Weekend. But hey, you know what? I think he's busy enough. He's already doing his one-hour podcast, his three-hour radio show, and a two-hour TV program on the weekends for Fox News. I I don't know how the guy does it, yeah, but he he's kind of like Brian Kilmeade. Those guys just don't stop. They continue to. If there's an extra hour in the day, they either do an interview or an additional show. <laughs> what about what about the weekend with Andy Hoosier? Hey, you know what? I am more than happy to fill in for that seat onto the weekend with Premier Radio Networks if they choose to call me up and say, Andy, we need a fill-in host. Can you do it? I I will be ready to rock and roll. Well, if I had the number, I'd give them a call and suggest it. They'd probably go, who in the hell is this guy? Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's probably. I don't know this guy, but he sounds a little crazy and a little extreme. So, Sean, I appreciate it, my friend. Happy St. Patty's Day and happy at weekend to you. I want to get some other calls here before we have to take a break, but always good to hear from you. Line number two, good morning. Who's this? Oh, guess we lost you. That's all right. Give us a call back. We want to hear from you. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. And uh, let us know your thoughts. The flavor of the day. Are you concerned about the uh, virus? Are you concerned about all those spring breakers down in Florida this year with uh, the spread of COVID-19? I, I think that that's going to be the next big scare because, hey, you know, there's a new variant in the U.K., and it's not causing any serious issues, but uh, it is causing some new case numbers. And all those kids, they're so irresponsible, just like they were in spring of 2020 when it first broke. How dare they spread that virus around everywhere? Bunch of heartless young kids and jerks. Lots more coming up here on Candace Talk. When we come back, we'll shift gears a little bit. Our interview with Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. We'll play that when we come back here. It's Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Right in front of me Color of her eyes Wear the color of insanity Crushed beneath her wave Like a ship I could not reach the shore We're all just
Well, in the merry month of May, from me home, I started left the girls and two nearly broken hearts. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQM. All right, we sat down with governor of the great state of Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt, as he talks about the latest in the economy, COVID-19, trade, agriculture, and more of what's going on in Oklahoma. It's Governor Kevin Stitt. Governor Kevin Stitt with us. Governor, how are you, my friend? Oh, doing great, Andy. Um, down here in Oklahoma City today and uh, excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, no, we're excited to, to chat with you. There's a lot of things you guys have been doing in in Oklahoma, obviously with COVID that's put a lot of damper on it. But I got to give you guys credit. Uh, you guys were one state that really fought a lot of those mandates and, and really tried to keep things open as much as possible. How did you guys fare through uh, the COVID pandemic and and now trying to reopen once the quote-unquote pandemic's been, uh, I guess, classified as over for the most part? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we uh, were one of the states that never never shut down. I mean, I, I basically said, listen, we have got to uh, take care of our hospital workers, our nurses, make sure they have all everything that they need. But we also need to keep our kids in school and we need to keep our businesses open. And I think that uh, when you look at the, when we do a post-mortem on this whole last couple of years, I think the way that we handled it was the right way. There's no difference. Everybody had the same three surges. Uh, you know, we had the original COVID surge and we had the uh, Delta and then we had the Omicron. And so every state experienced the same thing because this is a virus. I knew that from the very beginning and uh, just so proud of, of where we're sitting. So right now, Oklahoma uh, has the lowest unemployment we've ever had in our state's history. Wow. Uh, we're number three in the country at 2.3%. We've got a budget surplus, largest savings account we've ever had. Uh, so people are starting to take notice of Oklahoma, the freedoms, the pro-business policies, uh, compared to some other states uh, around the country that were uh, more the uh, mandate lockdown states. Yeah, they definitely love to lock themselves down for at least a good year or two. How was agriculture affected when it came to COVID-19 and uh, with some of the processing plants, with some of the work visas that came in, some of the farmers and ranchers? Uh, was that affected poorly? And, uh, and are things about back on track in that industry? You know, the thing that I've heard from the agriculture industry, obviously, it's, uh, you know, labor. It's been hard to get people back to, uh, uh, you know, to find the great employees. So that's why we got rid of the federal unemployment benefits, you know, faster than any other state to try to get people back in the workforce because um, it's just so important. Supply chain issues are, are some of the things I'm also hearing from other parts of the country. But as a general rule, again, uh, we've been open the whole time. Um, so I think our farmers and ranchers fared pretty well through this. Uh, commodity prices, I think, are, uh, are, are holding up pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're pleased with where we sit right now uh, in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, that's great news. Absolutely. Let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about the economy for a second with inflation. Obviously, it's been hitting the country poorly, you know, seven, seven and a half percent inflation all over the nation. Uh, right now, you guys have extremely low taxes in the state of Oklahoma, which I give you massive props for. And a lot of people really enjoy those. But how are you guys faring with the inflation down in Oklahoma? Yeah, you know, it, it's, a, it's at a 40-year high, and it's just amazing to me, this administration uh, in Washington, uh, they choke off the supply of oil and natural gas, and they wonder why the price at the pump goes up or why your electricity bills goes up. They don't understand supply and demand. And so I sent a letter to President Biden yesterday telling him to stop buying oil from Russia. We're feeding their economy, and we've got producers in Oklahoma and in North Dakota and Pennsylvania and Texas and all over this great country that actually can provide the energy needs of Americans. 
And instead, this administration is basically trying to slow down permitting processes, drilling permits, and uh, it's just unbelievable to me. But, you know, I'm, my job as governor is to protect Oklahoma, and so uh, we cut taxes for every single Oklahoman last year, both business and uh, individual. We instituted the earned income tax credit. I'm also proposing to get rid of the grocery tax, which really hurts uh, everyday uh, Oklahomans because um, inflation, like you said, is really costing everybody more at the gas pump and at the grocery store. So I'm excited to get that across the finish line. Um, here's the deal. My, my job as governor is, is, to, is to hold the state agencies flat. And so I've been holding these budgets flat. Uh, we have 2,000 fewer state employees than just a few years back. And so as a businessman governor, uh, my job is to run state government kind of like a business. And I'm holding people accountable. And that's why you're seeing great fiscal responsibility uh, with the state budget, which is really the taxpayer's money. Yeah. So I'm always fighting for the taxpayer uh, at, in, in uh, Oklahoma City. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch that because while most states are coming out of the pandemic and saying we need to raise taxes, that we need to try and figure out more spending, expand government size. I mean, you guys are doing the exact opposite, which is what you exactly need to do. How difficult is it to do that agenda coming out of what we just came out of the last couple of years? Well, you know, it, it, change is always hard. Um, but as the CEO of the state or the governor of the state, I've got 33,000 state employees. I look at state government like, uh, like a big service organization. And we all want the same things. We want the best roads and bridges. So I've, I've, I've rolled out a plan. You know, borrowing costs are super, super low. I'm using some federal dollars. And I've, I've got a plan to invest about $13 billion in infrastructure, rural highways. I'm trying to put shoulders on all the rural two lanes uh, throughout Oklahoma. Uh, so we got a great $13 billion, 10-year plan to invest in infrastructure uh, across the state. But it also comes down to education, infrastructure, uh, health care. Everybody wants the best health care and then uh, the best economy. So if I focus on those four things, I think I'm doing my job as the CEO of the state. Uh, leading Oklahoma. So we're, it's amazing what's happening. People are taking notice all around the country. We've got our populations growing. We've got 40,000 more people in the workforce today than we did um, uh, just since April of 2020, people moving in uh, to our state. Yeah, amen to that. We're talking with Governor Kevin Stitt from the great state of Oklahoma. Let's talk about education for a second and uh, some of the reforms you guys have been working on in the education system and with the teachers. I know there's been some issues going on there over the last couple of years. Talk about what you guys have been working on here. Absolutely. Well, it's called the Oklahoma Empowerment Act, and basically uh, it gives we, – we want to fund students, not systems. So we want to get put parents back in control of their kids' education, give them more choice, on where their kids go to school, whether that's a private school, whether it's a charter school, whether it's a great public school. And we've got a lot of great schools in Oklahoma, but we want a portion of that per pupil spending to be able to go wherever the parents want. And, you know, we know that there's not a one size fits all in education and some kids need special uh, assistance and whether it's dyslexia or uh, an IEP, we want to make sure that that kid basically has a scholarship to go find the best education that fits their needs. And, you know, school choice should not be just for the rich. I want it to be for every single Oklahoman. And the fact of the matter is our test scores are not where they should be. And when I look at what other states are doing, they're doing exactly what I'm proposing in Oklahoma, and that's putting parents in charge and getting more school choice. 
It's really nice to hear because I know that's kind of a hot topic going into especially this election season after what we saw out of the state of Virginia just last year where we really had Democrats just coming out and saying, hey, by the way, uh, parents, you don't have a say in your public education system and we don't want you dictating the curriculum. (laughs) I I think this is going to be a hot topic going into this year, don't you think? Oh, 100%. I mean, you look at the Virginia race, um, you know, that's that's where Oklahomans are too smart. What's going to happen is, your big teachers unions, your big union bosses are going to be trying to spread disinformation to all of Oklahoma saying, oh, it's going to defund public education. That's simply not true. Oklahomans are too smart for that. Actually, it's going to help uh, the schools that are performing like the parents want. They're going to be more attractive. They're going to get more money to their schools. If they're getting their kids college ready or career ready, they've got nothing to worry about. But if you're in a failing school, 100%. That superintendent should be scared because kids are going to leave. And why are we standing in the way if you're an F school uh, or you're not meeting the kids or you're trying to indoctrinate the kids or you're teaching, uh, you know, stuff that parents don't want? Let the parents, let the parents move. And, uh, and, and, and this is another example that I always have people say is, Hey, it's, it's public dollars. Well, that's right. Let me let me give you another example. We spend eight billion dollars of your taxpayer dollars in Medicaid, mm. and I don't force everybody on Medicaid. Uh, the pregnant women, children, uh, blind, age, uh, disabled, uh, and then the working poor that are on Medicaid to use one government-controlled doctor. We have multiple uh, for-profit doctors, hospitals, and we have choice in our medical system. So. We want to bring some more choice into our education system as well. Amen to that. Last question before we let you go. I know you're a busy guy, and I appreciate the time very much, but let's talk about the medical marijuana in Oklahoma. You guys passed that uh, just a year or two ago. I've heard a lot of success with individuals that are growing, that are selling, that are using it all across the board, but talk about it. Has it been a success in your eyes, and what can you guys do to continue to uh, grow that industry in a safe manner? Yeah, well, we've had uh – uh, the industry has just exploded in growth in Oklahoma. And uh, a lot of people would tell you that's not a good thing because there was a lot of illegal stuff going on. And so I rearranged uh, who was overseeing that uh, agency. Adria Berry is now the head of what we call OMMA and got her working with OBN and all the OSBI folks and all the different law enforcement. And we had a huge, huge bust last week where we took down uh, some foreign bad actors, a bunch of uh, uh, Chinese nationals that were buying land in Oklahoma and then setting up illegal growers, uh, grows. So I think we busted about 13 grow operations. One of them down around the Duncan area, or she got the Duncan area, uh, had 500 buildings on it. Wow. It was unbelievable. And it was all illegal. And so, and then we arrested, we actually froze accounts and some California banks that they were laundering money. So it was a huge sting. Uh, it was a, it was a, a great deal uh, for Oklahoma to get back control and make sure law and order will be, um, will be enforced in the state of Oklahoma. Amen to that. Well, a lot of states are going down this road, and as you guys try and you know uh, tweak the system to make it more efficient, to make it more safe, it's it's good to see that you're able to do that. Is there a chance, and I know a lot of people have asked about this, uh, as they try and push that boundary and try and push that line further and further, is there discussion in Oklahoma to move that from more of a medical marijuana to more of a recreational stance? Well, th- there's certainly petitions out there. So what happens is, in our state, it's pretty easy to get something on the ballot, which 
probably should be changed. So you have these left-wing groups, these special interest groups come in and, and get petitions signed. And that's just a, a, a note to Oklahomans. Don't sign those petitions uh, if you're walking out in, in the fair or whatever and somebody's standing there. Make sure you know what you're signing because it's so easy to get on the ballots in Oklahoma. I caution everybody for from just signing those uh, petitions because – uh, but there's a move right now. They've actually filed something to have full recreational marijuana. Listen, that I, I think that's bad. Our young people do not mean to be doing drugs. Marijuana is not good. It's not a medicine. There it is. I was Governor Kevin Stitt from the state of Oklahoma. Great information, great content, great conversation with him. We'll get him back on the show again here soon as well. Appreciate that. All right, we'll take a bottom of the hour break. When we come back, we'll take the last couple phone calls. We'll also play our interview with Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General as well, for our monthly chat with him. So much to do, so little time to do it, and it's all right here on Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Home stretch here on Kansas Talk, last half hour of the show. If you want to jump in, 316-721-8255, 317-21-TALK. Yeah. Last little bit of uh, the Irish music to wrap up St. Patrick's Day. That happened just a couple of days ago. I did it. Mrs. Voice of Reason, as usual, hits it out of the park. I get home on Thursday night. And we had the homemade corned beef and uh, corned beef and cabbage. She makes that this weekend. I'm making my famous uh, corned beef and hash, which is uh, super exciting. So between what she does, and what I do, uh, we have we stocked up on the corned beef this year, and uh, just gonna eat that for the next few weeks. Because why the heck not? It's pretty amazing. I could honestly eat that just. Uh, just about every day. So welcome in. Last little bit here. We have our interview with uh, Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt that we'll play here in just a minute. But I want to take some phone calls here as well. So let's go to that, shall we? Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? This is Frederick. Frederick, how are you, my friend? You know what? What's I'm that? I'm an old man, seven, almost 77. Next month I'll be 77. And I'm enjoying just being old and just being an old man and going through life and whatever it's this world throws at me, I just deflect it off and go straight ahead and not worry or whine or cry or blame this or blame that. I just figure out a way to overcome it and go straight ahead. You know what? That is a great way to live life. I wish more people would learn that. Even at my age, even with, you know, the chaos and working and the stress and trying to, like, you know, become stable and actually raise kids and do all that, I, I really try to take that lifestyle as well and take that mindset of, you know what, I'll take it as it comes and we'll just kind of roll with it. And I'm a pretty easygoing kind of guy, and I, I try to, uh, you know, to remain that way even during the chaotic times. Absolutely. You know, I've had some very tragic, uh, horrible things happen to me in my life. The deal of it is I deal with it and I overcome it and forget about it and go straight ahead. You know, and I wish more people would do that. And I'm getting sick and tired of of people going around with with sayings on their T-shirts. Please, uh, please respect me because of who I am. Oh, hell, just just hold your head high and go straight ahead and you will get your respect and you don't have to worry about anything. 
You know, it's a great point. There are a lot of people that feel like they need to change the world, either that or they just feel like they're victims and just feel uh, upset by everything because the world doesn't go the way they want it to. And they're so angry, like to, to wake up and be that angry, to be that frustrated with not just the country or your town or with other people, but just with the entire world in general of things aren't going the way I want it to. And therefore, instead of just me letting things go and just relaxing. No, I'm going to become angry, become anxious, become frustrated, become just an activist and just try to just overturn the world because I don't like the way it is. That's a, I mean, obviously we try to change things here with this show by education, common sense and and becoming an activist, but we do it with the intention of making things better, not just by causing chaos in the universe. Absolutely. And you know, um, Andy, I just want you to have the most beautiful spring and beautiful summer. Enjoy your wife and your and your precious little girl. Bless her heart. And uh, just enjoy life because, hey, you're in your 30s. Listen, I'm 77. You know, when you start figuring out, I'm 77. I'm trying to figure out how many damn years. It's uh, beginning to be not really a large number, but you have a huge number of years left, which I'm thankful for and and just live it because I've lived mine every minute of it. And when my time comes, I'm going to say, thank you, dear Lord, for letting me live as long as I've lived. I've had a good life and goodbye. And move on to the next. And, uh, that's right. That's the way to live it. At, I love it. That's a, that is a great uh, motivational movement and motivational uh, mindset for going into a weekend because that's what we need to have. I know it's crazy times. I know it's stressful. We're worried about another Hopefully we're not worried about another COVID-19 variant pandemic coming out. Uh, Worried about the war with Ukraine and Russia and inflation. Yes, there are some crappy things going on in the world, but by golly, we can take them and we can make something. We can always make lemonade out of lemons, right? Right. We remember when I was born, I was born during World War II when we had a real war going on. Mm. Okay? I was born during World War II where the whole damn world was fighting us. So, uh, you know, I've lived through it all, but I've survived it all. Anyway, Andy, I want you to have the most beautiful day. Go straight ahead, and you take care, okay, sir? You as well, my friend. It's always good to talk to you, Frederick. I appreciate that, because when you are so uh, keyed up and angry the entire time... Going to have a bad time. Yeah, I'm telling you, just (laughs) live life a little bit. We appreciate that. It's a great speech, and I appreciate that, Frederick. All right, we'll shift gears here. Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General. We sat down with him just a couple days ago to talk about the latest coming out of the state on legal issues This is what he had to say. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Always happy to have this guy on the program for our monthly visit on the latest legal issues going on in the state of Candace. It is the Attorney General for the state of Candace, Mr. Derek Schmidt. Derek, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Andy. Good to be back. Thanks. Always good to chat with you. Obviously, a lot of legal issues, a lot of battles going on right now, which I think is a good thing because... There's some challenges that need to be addressed right now. Uh, unfortunately, there's still some COVID-19 policy lingering in society right now with many towns, with many communities, with many private buildings ending some of their mask mandates and vaccine mandates. For some reason, there's some areas that feel like they need to continue having mask mandates for children, and I don't quite understand why. Can you uh, talk about some of this for a minute? Well, I can. You know, we really focused on these federal mandates as a legal matter. The local ones are, are, are maybe problematic stressing concerning but at the end of the day uh you know there's the ability to make the decisions on those locally through the legislature or through local governing bodies or whatever it may be but the problem is these federal mandates that are beyond the reach of kansas law at least directly and 
So we've really challenged a bunch of those in court, tried to get them knocked down and stopped. We have stopped all but one of them that we've challenged. Uh, we haven't yet succeeded with the so-called health care mandate, but we're working on that. Uh, the latest one, we actually have the, the Biden administration actually issued a federal mandate, a one-size-fits-all federal mandate, that um, anybody at a Head Start facility uh, not only has to be vaccinated if you're an adult, but has to wear a mask if you're age two or older. So a federal mask mandate for kiddos uh, in a Head Start facility. I mean, it's just it's so far beyond you know what we ever imagined the law could allow. It's just sort of mind-blowing. We challenged it in court. We got an injunction to block it in Kansas and 24 other states. So people haven't really seen the headache of this, so to speak, here, because we've had it on hold by court order. But in half the country, it's in effect. And here, the federal government still wants it to go into effect. So we, we have now asked the Biden administration, look, let's just call a truce on this, back off, withdraw this mandate. Uh, the COVID numbers are declining. Surely this is a time you can agree the federal government doesn't need to be trying to do this. But we're going to stand strong, and uh, hopefully they'll withdraw it and we're done. But if not, we'll continue to fight in court. That would be a good thing. The big question is why do they still have it? I mean, even the official statement coming from the NIH and the FDA and everybody says that unless you have an N95 mask or stronger, that the mask really doesn't help anything. And when we have the adults, especially the politicians, I mean, we just saw the State of the Union not uh, not even a month ago with congressional leaders not wearing a mask, but yet we think that we still have to have some type of mandate for little children. I, I don't understand even the thought process behind that. Well, we don't either, and that was the point of our letter, saying, won't you withdraw this now? Uh, this seems like this is a fight that uh, doesn't need to happen, because the, even the Biden administration has generally conceded that the time for mandatory federally imposed masking has passed, except in a couple of areas. Uh, and, and surely, surely we can agree that requiring, you know, the federal government reaching and requiring two- and three-year-olds to mask up while they're at uh, Head Start at daycare is um, uh, is way beyond the pale at this point. And, you know, it's not just a philosophical and ideological fight. It's also, of all the people in the world, in the country, that you don't want to have uh, masked up mandatorily if it's not absolutely essential. You're talking kids. Yeah. I mean, these are kids who are trying to learn to speak. They're little bitty kiddos. And part of how you learn to speak as a human being is you watch other people's mouths and, you, you know, you, your ears hear you make sound, which is muffled if you're masked up. I mean, the, the risk of doing actual damage to these kiddos is greater than it is for, say, an adult where our patterns are already formed. It's annoying, frustrating, irritating, concerning, and in some cases, distress, you know, problematic. But, but for these kiddos, it's just, it's just wrong. And so we're, we're trying to kind of make it go away. Yeah, well, it's even illogical. I mean, trying to keep a mask on a little kid like that who's fidgeting with it, who's touching their face all the time, who's touching other things and then playing with their mask or sharing their mask, it's just it's laughable at how absurd some of these mandates are. But uh, we've had to deal with this for a couple of years, so I'm glad you guys are fighting this to try and repeal it. Let's talk about and continue the conversation with parents and with children, though, and with education, because uh, we did see a big turnout, I think, in the Virginia election just a couple of months ago, back in November of last year, where we saw parents really rise up after some comments being made that really parents shouldn't have a say in public education, shouldn't have a right to say uh, what goes on with the curriculum for their students. And that riled up a lot of parents. Now we're hearing cases about intimidation of parents, whether it's talking to school boards, whether it's trying to be involved in the public education system. And I know that's something you guys are working on here pretty closely as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, ultimately, voters sort all of this out. That's why we elect school board members, uh, both for the state and for local uh, boards of education. And voters uh, have had some of their say, including in Wichita, where they made some decisions this last fall, and they're going to have more say in the next round of elections. And that's the way it's supposed to work. But, you know, through all of this, there have been a few things that have been even more concerning than just sort of the, the base issues. There were these reports last fall, you'll recall, 
that a group called the National School Board Association uh, had colluded, cooperated, worked with the U.S. Department of Justice, and, and ultimately called on DOJ to sick the FBI on some of these uh, you know, parents and school board meetings uh, on the theory that uh, domestic terrorist was the phrase, that some of these parents constituted domestic terrorists. Oh, my goodness, there was, to our knowledge, absolutely no indication, evidence, or justification for that. And they certainly didn't need to be run to the FBI with it. So, uh, you know, that's sort of backed off now, but we still want to know what happened. We want to know who started all of this. Was this really just an organic grassroots uh, school board leaders around the country decided it was a good idea to um, uh, ask for FBI assistance and, and label some of these parents domestic terrorists? Or was this all really you know, colluded between DOJ, kind of cooked up by them uh, to get somebody to ask them to do this so they could then do what the Biden administration wanted to do anyway? We don't know. Uh, we have our theories. And so we're trying to get the records, the, the communications, if any, between the School Board Association and, and Department of Justice. We've filed our Freedom of Information Act request. A group of states um, were entitled to see the records like anybody else. Yeah. And uh, so far, they've, they've uh, not been responsive. So we've now filed suit, and we're going to ask a federal judge to order them to show us what records exist. Because, you know, it's one thing if somebody just overreacted in the, in the private sector or, or I said private sector and, you know, representing school boards. That's not good, but that's quite one thing. Sure. It's quite another thing if the Department of Justice cooked this up and asked the School Board Association to invite the FBI to take a look at some of these school board meetings. Uh, that's quite a different if it's our own government. So we just want to know what happened. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good to take a look at that and investigate it. It is wild, though, that this would be the target for a, some kind of political agenda is, oh, hey, parents, uh, I know you're fired up. I know you're angry. But to label them as a domestic terrorist, that's uh, that's unheard of. And I'm sure that's riled a lot of people up. Way over the line, way, way, way over the line, wholly unjustified, and um, we just we want to know what happened. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think that plays into the bigger mindset of a lot of the name-calling that we see just in the political realm right now? Of course, if you're a right-wing conservative at all, then you're, of course, a Nazi, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe, whatever they try to label you. It's really a name-calling that has watered down real terms of some serious derogatory remarks, but they don't care about those anymore just because maybe of uh, either emotions running high or political posturing. Yeah, I, I do think that our some of our public discourse has become, you know, very coarsened. And, you know, there's a tendency sometimes to use rhetoric or name calling that it doesn't really accomplish anything. It doesn't bolster your argument. It just uh, sort of raises the, the noise level. And, you know, it'd be nice. You can be strong and have firmly held opinions and express them and fight hard for them yeah. without uh, some of this over-the-top rhetoric. So it'd be good if everybody would take a breath on that. And uh, From my vantage point, it sure does appear to me that uh, the, the, the bulk of it right now is coming from the left end of the spectrum. But yeah. I'm sure we've got folks out there that would view it differently. And everybody just calm it down. Let's, let's Let's go do what's best for this country. Yeah, everybody take a breath and just think a little bit more rationally, which is something that uh, we kind of lack in society right now. We're talking with Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. Let's bring it to the home front here uh, for the state of Kansas for a minute. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot of the big news going on right now about the challenging of the redistricting maps after the census and drawing of the congressional lines. That's going to court right now. What's the latest in that situation? 
Yeah, that's right, uh, Andy. So the current state of play is the legislature has enacted new district boundaries for members of Congress, the four congressional districts in Kansas. They're still working on their own boundaries in the state house and the state Senate. They'll get those enacted in short order. But right now, it's entirely Congress that's done. The governor vetoed the new boundaries. The legislature overrode her veto. So the current state of play is the new boundaries have been drawn, and the law that draws them is is uh, is in effect. Hmm. There are folks that don't like that. And they've marched into the courthouse and filed now a total of three different lawsuits asking courts to set aside those district boundaries to find them invalid. A really odd wrinkle this year is that the plaintiffs who have done that have gone to state court, which has never happened before. It's always been in federal court when you're talking about these federal congressional maps. But this year they went to state court. We think it's obvious why. It's because they knew they were going to lose in federal court the way federal law has developed. So they're hoping that Kansas state courts will uh, sort of lay down some new rules that will be beneficial to the challengers. We obviously don't think that should happen. So we're defending the uh, new maps the way they've been drawn. And the current state of play, uh, this is mind-numbing for anybody but a civil procedure professor, but we are, we are embroiled right now in a whole bunch of procedural fights with the plaintiffs over where, which court, these challenges are going to be heard in. Um, we, I tried to go straight to the Kansas Supreme Court because they're going to ultimately make this decision, so we sort of wanted to just fast forward to the end. But the court declined to hear it. They said that wasn't uh, how they were going to handle this case, and so they sent us back to the district court. So lots of procedural wrangling. Eventually, we'll get a court decision, and we'll go forward. I think these maps are very defensible. I think they comply with the law, and uh, unless the court uh, tells us that there's some new and different legal rule that we weren't aware of that uh, now has to be complied with. So it's going to go back down to a lower court. Is in like a district court around the areas being challenged? Is that kind of where they're going to fall to right now? Yeah. So two of the plaintiffs filed in Wyandotte County District Court up in Kansas City. The third plaintiff filed in Douglas County District Court in Lawrence. The judges in those two courts have asked the Supreme Court to consolidate those cases in uh, one of those two courts. We're going to file a response to that pretty soon. Uh but our position is all of these cases ought to be moved to Shawnee County, Topeka. And the reason for that is that these cases are challenging the Kansas Secretary of State as the chief elections officer for the state. And customarily, and we believe by law, challenges to the Secretary of State's official actions occur where those actions occur. And all the Secretary's actions have occurred in Shawnee County, Topeka, not in Lawrence or Kansas City. So. You know, again, we're, we're we're sort of down in the weeds here. Eventually, a court will be selected. We're hoping it's Shawnee County, and then we'll litigate the case. That's interesting. And like you said, it is interesting why they didn't go to a federal court because of concerns of it actually holding up to where it is right now. So maybe they're, I don't know, are, are they concerned and hopeful that maybe the uh, the political activists that are in the courts in, in those districts that will be a little bit more favorable to them? Well, you know, I can't speak to that uh, with certainty. I could only speculate. All, all I can say is the plaintiffs chose uh, their forums, and they, I presume, chose them for a reason. And the forums they chose are not the ordinary forums in which this type of, of uh, lawsuit would be brought. So sure. here we are. Yes, here we are on that one. Now, do you think that they're going to challenge some of the uh, state legislative uh, redistricting once that actually happens? Well, the state redistricting, there's actually specific rules for how courts are supposed to review those maps, and those rules are written into our state constitution. So we know with greater specificity how those challenges are likely to arise. And actually, what the Constitution requires for those House and Senate redistricting maps is once the legislature passed them, I, as attorney general, 
am required to go straight to the Kansas Supreme Court, bring a lawsuit, and ask the court to review those maps and decide whether they're whether they pass muster or whether they don't. So you're going to see a very different process, I believe, play out for the state legislative maps, uh, unless, of course, some third party uh, decides they want to try something new and different on that as well. But my expectation is that'll be uh, a more prescribed procedure. Sure. That's what we're going to. That's what we're going to try for anyway. It's going to look a little funny because it'll look like I'm the one challenging the maps. But really, the purpose—that's because the Constitution requires me to, and the purpose of that is just to get a final court decision on it as soon as possible. And that's what we're going to try to do. Sure. Well, it's going to be an interesting process to see how that one plays out. Uh, we got a couple minutes left here. We're talking with Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. Let's talk about some stuff that we've kind of touched on before, but some updates on these. Uh, number one, last time we talked to you last month, there was a major issue up in that uh, Kansas City region of sanctuary cities, wanting to try and classify a sanctuary city when it comes to illegal immigration. Again, it blew my mind. Never thought we'd see that here in the state of Kansas, but yet here we are. Where are we with some of those challenges right now and some of that legislation? Yeah, that's right. Um, the Unified Government of Kansas City, Wyandotte County, did adopt an ordinance. They call it their safe and welcoming ordinance. I call it their sanctuary ordinance. I think, you know, the terminology is a distinction without a difference. It's the ordinance, the key parts of it that have caused real concern for me. Uh, the ordinance tries to instruct the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department not to cooperate with federal authorities that are engaged in immigration enforcement. And it also seeks to create these new municipal identification cards, which is fine if the city wants to have an ID card. But the problem is uh, the city would issue these cards to um, people who aren't citizens, to including people who are in the country illegally. And so we want to make absolutely sure if they're going to issue these cards, uh, that these cards can't be used outside their own city uh, to, for example, get state benefits or satisfy the requirements of state law. So we put together a piece of legislation to address those problems. Uh, there was a hearing on it earlier this week in the House of Representatives Committee. I think the hearing went well. Uh, a lot of people showed up on the other side, but their arguments were all the same. It was just sort of a repetition of the same argument. Uh, I think the committee seemed receptive to the concerns we expressed, and uh, I'm hopeful the committee is going to vote on that bill yet this week and move it on to the full House. So bottom line is Kansas does not have a state-level law right now that prohibits these sanctuary cities. Yeah. And if we want to stop the proliferation of them around the state, you're going to have to enact law, and that's why we went to the legislature. Sure. With this push for a sanctuary city up in that area for the county and for the city up there, is there a concern about having individuals like this being able to even be registered to vote? Well, a concern, yes. I mean, I don't want to overblow that. There are lots of other requirements in state law uh, to try to you know, make sure that doesn't happen. But obviously it's not helpful if individuals who are residing in Kansas but are legally prohibited from voting because they're not citizens, then get a government-issued ID that, uh, you know, tends to lend a, a sort of an official air to their status. And so that's, is it a concern? Yes. And in fact, the Secretary of State came in and testified at the hearing this week, asked the committee to make crystal clear in the bill that um, these local IDs cannot be used when you go to the polling place to prove who you are, you know, in order yeah. for our, our, our voter ID law. So... It's uh, it's sort of created a mess, and it's you know it's a classic example of where some people with very strongly held views locally uh, believed, I think, they were acting on local matters, but in fact, what they've done has much broader effect. It affects uh, potentially people all over the state, and that's why, in my view, at least, the state needs to step in and, and put a stop to 
There it is, that was Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. We always appreciate all the time that he gives us. They're always great to chat. Again, you can find him at the Kansas State Rifle Association's meeting tonight. That's up in Topeka if you choose to join that. Until then, we're out of time here on Kansas Talk. Goes by so fast every single week. Uh, the weekend coming up right around the corner here on KQAM. We're back at it next Saturday as well, 9 to 11, as always here on Kansas Talk. Thanks for hanging out with us here on a Saturday morning, getting you up and moving. We're back at it also on Monday for the national broadcast of The Voice of Reason. Until then, everybody, have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio again here real soon. Radio.